All right, we continue uh, our series today, The Dark Side of Christmas. And remember what we're doing in the series. Hey, we're just acknowledging uh, the truth. that We live in a pretty broken world, and uh, sometimes that world can get uh, pretty dark. And so last week we talked about going from despair uh, to hope, if you remember, and uh, just acknowledging that, hey, there's darkness in the world, uh, but the good news for us is uh, God is... Uh, not afraid of the dark, right? Uh, not only is he not afraid of the dark, but he enters into the dark, uh, and it's actually in the dark uh, where he works, and uh, Jesus came into this dark world uh, to face that darkness and to be the rebellion, uh, and it's all wrapped up. He is uh, the rebellion, and therefore he is uh, our hope. And so today we move on uh, and again talk about that darkness and moving from shame uh, to joy. So if you're a uh, Star Wars uh, geek, uh, you uh, probably know that out there in uh, Google world, you can Google and uh, find these lists of like the top, uh, you know, 50 or the top 10, whatever you, you want to go with number, right? But these top lists are the most significant scenes in all of the Star Wars movies or, you know, the, the kind of top phrases that everybody remembers from the Star Wars movies, uh, like the one I always remember is, these are not the droids you're looking for. Remember that one? You got to do this when you do that, though, right? Can't, these are not the droids you're looking for, right? Exactly. Well, okay, so we got these. So what I'm going to show you is a clip uh, from, from Star Wars. You're probably familiar with it. And this one, uh, in all of the, the, the lists that I saw, this one ranks all the time up in like the top five, if not the top three, of the most significant scenes in the whole uh, Star Wars saga. So uh, watch the screens here. Obi-Wan. There we go. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! Remember the scene? Yeah, totally, right? Yeah, now here you want to win at Star Wars trivia. This is also one of the most misquoted phrases right? Because so often when you hear the, the quote on this one, it's like, Luke, I am your father, right? That's not what he says. What did he say? No, I am your father. Now you're going to win every Star Wars trivia thing you get to compete in. There you go. Don't tell me you didn't get something relevant this morning from Christ Church. There you go. We're on it. All right, cool. Now, why show you that clip? Uh, it's the scream. It's the scream. Uh, some folks, uh, Star Wars folks, think that that moment uh, was, uh, is it Mark Hamill? Yeah, Mark Hamill's best of all of, all of the, the, the scenes he did in Star Wars, that that was the best because of that scream. Think about that scream. What is captured in that scream? The denial and maybe even the shame of understanding who his father is. The shame 
that's in the darkness. That's the truth for us in a broken world, that in the darkness there is shame. We know that. It's all over uh, the Scripture. And the good news for us from the beginning today is just as God is not afraid of the dark, God is not scared of shame. It's all over in the darkness, and it shows itself repeatedly in the Scripture with God's people, right? That experience of when you act in disobedience to, to God's desire and God's will in your life, and, and when you act in that disobedience and that sin, what comes with it? The cloak of shame, doesn't it? What, when you know, when you willingly act in that disobedience to, to what you know God's desire is, that, that when you do that and when you realize that, it's like this, this cloak of shame just kind of covers over you. We see that from the very beginning, right? You go back into Genesis 3, and you get the experience of Adam and Eve, right? And they have eaten the apple, and God comes walking in the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And finally confronts them and says, have you eaten the apple? Why are you hiding from me? And they say, because we were afraid, because we were naked. What is captured in that phrase? What's captured is their shame. They are afraid and they are filled with shame. It happens again in other followers and God's people. It happens again. How about King David? Great King David, right? What happens? He gets, he gets uh, caught up in disobedience and he has committed adultery with Bathsheba and that leads him to commit murder and finally the prophet Nathan come and, and comes and confronts him with that disobedience and he is overwhelmed with shame. Go home and read Psalm 51 and you will see, hear, and feel the cloak of shame that comes over his life. Or how about in the New Testament, the Apostle uh, Peter, right? Uh, Peter is with Jesus, as are the other disciples, and, and Jesus says, listen, one of you is going to betray me, and they all say, no, Lord, not me, not me. But Peter steps out, he steps forward, and he says, no way, <laughs> not possible. I will never betray you, Lord. I would rather die than betray you. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, before the night is over, you're going to betray me not just once, you're going to do it three times. And the cock's going to crow when you do. And sure enough, it happens. And when the cock crows the third time, what happens? It says in Luke 22, Peter goes outside and he does what? He weeps bitterly. What is captured in his weeping but his shame? We live in a dark world, and we do disobedient things, and we experience shame. Christmas itself has the evidence that God is not scared of our shame. It, it, embedded in the very Christmas story itself is the experience of shame. You get it in Matthew, uh, Matthew 1. It says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged 
to be married to Joseph. Another word that the, that the New Testament uses, betrothed, because it was like a contract. You see, when you got to this point, you, you were under contract. The families were contracted with each other. And when you got betrothed, when you were betrothed, the, the, the new husband's job was to go build a house, get a house ready, have a place to live, make sure he could provide for his new wife. And the wife's job, the wife's job was to get her head around, hey, she's going to be a wife, prepare herself for that. And their job was to make sure they remained absolutely faithful. And yet the text tells us, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. What happened? Something outside of God's order of things took place. Something outside God's design, the way it's supposed to work for us in terms of husbands and wives and having babies. Something got out of order. And, and the shame becomes obvious because you see Joseph. Joseph, who, who she was engaged to, he was a righteous guy. That's really clear. He was a righteous guy. And because he was a righteous guy... What did he experience? And he didn't want to do what? He didn't want to disgrace her. Why does it say that? He didn't want to show the community her shame. You see, right in the Christmas story, there is the reality of the darkness and the shame that invades into our lives. And Jesus comes into that kind of world. Because God is not scared of your shame. He is not scared of my shame. In the Gospel of John, that shame was in Jesus' whole life, right? Even as he grew to be a man, it was about his ministry. This, this reality of his birth continued to to, to follow him. He gets into debate with these guys, the Pharisees, right? And they're debating over this whole father question, right? Just like Luke and, and Darth Vader, right? They're debating over this, this whole father question. And, and Jesus is challenging them and saying, listen, you're not really living up to your heritage. You're not living up to, to God your father and the way you're supposed to live as his children. And they get in a battle and they confront each other. And, and they say, wait a minute, our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, well, no, you're not really living that way. You're really, not really displaying that to anybody else. You're really living for yourself. And so you get down to the end. He says, no, uh, you're imitating your real father, right? Your selfishness and the darkness. And look how they reply to him. They reply and say, hey, we aren't illegitimate children. What's the inference? But you are. We know your story. We know the shame that happened at your birth. God's not scared of shame. He proves he's not scared of shame because he enters into the most shameful of experiences and places. In Deuteronomy, it says, For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. And what did Jesus do? Hung on a tree. Hebrews. Hebrews calls it out. It says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its 
He is not scared of shame. He became shame. He shouldered shame. He is not only not scared of shame. He came to rip that shame off of your shoulders and put it onto his. He is not scared of shame. He shoulders shame. You look at Matthew again. That's why in the Christmas story, God can say, no, listen, Joseph, this is my doing. I'm entering into the shame. You, you need to go ahead and take Mary uh, as your wife. Why? Because she's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins, and he will shoulder their shame. He will shoulder your shame. Listen, if you're out there this morning and you've got that darkness working in your life and you've got some stuff going on in your life that you know you have just simply been disobedient, you just haven't been doing it God's way, and you know that you've been in that sin experience and you're feeling that heaviness and that cloak of shame in your life right now, you know what it is. Even as I'm talking in your own head, in your own heart, it's running through you. And you feel the weight of it even in these moments and in this room. I want to tell you, Jesus came to rip that out of your life. To confront that shame and to rip that cloak of shame off your shoulders and put it onto his. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you're not there yet, and you don't understand him, I want you to understand today, right now, this moment is a moment where he can change your life and he can take away your shame. And if you know him and you've been walking with him and you've got that shame going in your life too, it's no different. In this moment right now, he can rip off that cloak of darkness and that heaviness in your life and he can bring you into a new place because that's what he does. He is not scared of your shame. If you look at Corinthians, it doesn't make sense to us, right? It doesn't add up how this whole thing works, but it is how how it works. God chooses the things that the world doesn't understand and considers foolish. He He chooses to confront our shame by entering into shame and taking it on himself. Because he wants you, he wants me, he wants us to go beyond our shame. He wants us, our lives, to go beyond carrying this shame and leave it behind. You look at the Gospel of Luke and this experience with Peter. Peter had experienced the shame. He said he wept bitterly. Even before that experience, Jesus prepared him for that moment. And in preparing him, he was pushing him to look beyond the moment of that shame. Listen to what he said. Simon, Simon, Satan's asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. What did he pray for? He prayed for this moment in your life that today, right now, you would confront your shame. You would acknowledge that burden in your life. And you would let him rip that cloak of shame off your shoulders and out of your life. 
Colossians, Paul, a guy who not a lot, knew a lot of shame, right? The Apostle Paul, the guy that persecuted Christians before Christ came into his life. The guy who killed Christians before Christ came into his life. The guy that openly talked about his regret and his shame in that experience. He's the very same guy that says, listen, this includes you who are once far away from God. You are his enemies. You were separated from him by the evil thoughts and by the evil actions, by the shame. Yet now he has reconciled you himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he's brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him, what? Without a single fault. Can you believe that? No, I really mean it. Can you believe that? Because that's what it is. He is not scared of your shame. And he is ready to rip that out of your life and look at you as his child because he is your father. And he loves you enough to take on your shame on a tree, to enter in the shame and put it on his shoulders. You look at the psalmist. The psalmist, long before Jesus came, he... he, looked at this experience and this opportunity. He says, He has removed our sin as far as, as from us as far as east is from west. How far? As far as east is from west. When he rips that shame off our shoulders, he completely and absolutely removes it. And Paul says, so now there is no. When? Now. Now? Right now. Now. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and shame and the death it leads to. He is not scared of your shame. He came into this world to shoulder your shame. And in this moment, he is ready to rip that shame out of your life. And look at you as his child without spot, flaw, or wrinkle. And that leads us beyond the shame to a whole lot of joy, doesn't it? I mean, how does it feel when you're under the burden of shame? And he comes along and takes that heavy cloak off your back. And for the first time in how long, you can straighten up and life takes on a new direction. See, that's what he does. He moves us from shame and he rips that shame off and he replaces it with the possibility and the experience of joy. Jeremiah says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Don't lose that one. How long? An ever, everlasting love, right? Notice the next one. And I have drawn, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, you're going to be rebuilt, and again you will take up your timbrels, and you'll go out to dance with what? A whole lot of joy. Life becomes new when he rips off the shame, and we experience joy. It's just this relationship between grace and joy. In the Greek, the word for joy is kara, and in the Greek, the word for grace is as charis. Do you see the association? 
It's just the truth, the biblical truth. So when he enters into our shame and he shoulders that shame and he rips it out of our lives, he replaces it with grace and joy because of his love for us, because of his grace for us, because he shouldered the shame on a tree. We can experience a different kind of life, an elevated life that is a whole lot of joy. You look again at Isaiah, the prophet. He says, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will do what? Flee away. You see, he rips that cloak of shame off, and he infuses the opportunity of joy in our lives. But we've got to be careful. It's not a selfish joy. It's not a joy just meant for us. It's not a joy just for us to kind of harbor and hold on to. It is a joy that is supposed to flow out of us. You look at Peter. Remember Peter? The guy who experienced that weeping and that shame? He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him uh, right now, you trust in him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. You see, the joy that comes on us is incredible. And, and we struggle to find words, but we still struggle to express the joy, to be able to go beyond the joy and find those words that, that flow into other people's lives. You look at John, for I've loved you. He says, you obey my commands. You're my father. I'm going to love you. Look at verse 11. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will do what? You see, it seems so inexpressible, and yet this joy, it just flows out of us. It flows. It's meant to flow into other people's lives. God is not scared of your shame. And Jesus came to shoulder your shame. And when you let him rip that cloak of shame off your life, he is ready to replace it with a joy, a, a, a joy that seems so impossible, and yet it's a joy that infuses us, and that joy leads us beyond the shame. It pushes us into a new kind of life, and it pushes us into other people's lives. Now, we ought to know this, especially at Christmas, we ought to know this, because when those angels came to the shepherds and they spoke to the shepherds, they spoke about a joy. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to those shepherds and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? It's going to bring great joy to? You see, it is a joy that overflows. It is a joy that pushes us beyond our shame into other people's lives. Because you know what the truth is? They're still living in the darkness and they're still burdened by the shame. And God is not scared of their shame. And he is ready to shoulder their shame just like he shoulders ours. And he's ready to free them of that burden and bring them into a life of inexpressible joy. God is not scared of your shame, and he's ready to shoulder that shame. 
I want to invite you this morning, if you're feeling that, if that cloak of burden is still on your life, when you come to the table today, leave it there. Let him rip that off of your life and you just leave it there and walk away because you know who your father is. And your father, your father loves you enough to send his son into the world to take on shame and shoulder that shame and nail that shame to a cross in a tree so that you can know the freedom and the inexpressible joy. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks today uh, that we can just celebrate uh, this incredible truth that you're not scared of even our shame. That you came into the world to shoulder it. It's amazing. And to set us free and to, and to replace it with a joy. So, Lord, we come to you today uh, just humble in heart. And we admit to you those times when we have uh, failed and faltered and we have been disobedient. And we're just going to ask you this morning for everybody in the room. Just rip off that cloak of shame. Make us new right now. We don't have to earn it. We can't buy it. It's grace. It's your love because you, you are our Father. And you love us with an everlasting love. And your love never fails us. So Lord, fill us now with that joy that comes from knowing you, that joy that is the freedom in Christ, that joy that wells up in us and will flow into other people. So Lord, we just thank you and we praise you today for the new life you bring us in Jesus. Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. May we see joy in the hearts of his people. May we see joy in the eyes of children. May we have the joy that can only come from God. Let us find joy in more than the decorations. Let us find joy in more than the presents. And let us find joy in more than the lights. Let our joy be real. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Let the trees of the forest shout with joy, for the Lord comes to earth. Let the earth be filled with joy, and let the coastlands rejoice, for the Lord comes to earth.